Hello and welcome to Sustain. I am here at Fosse in Portland, Oregon, which is the first annual yearly conference for the free and open source software group, Software Freedom Conservancy, who are hosting it. Thank you so much, SFC, for being amazing. And I am Richard Litauer, your host, and I'm joined today by Vagrant Cascadian. Vagrant, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's excited to be back at a conference. It's, it's really cool to be here. It's cool to like walk to lunch, run into someone random, enjoy the beautiful sunny weather here in Portland and say, hey, have you been on the podcast before? <laughs> so, Vagrant, tell me what you do at Reproducible Builds. So the big bird's eye view of what Reproducible Builds, our goal is to make it a standard best practice for software projects to when you build a piece of software and then you build it again, possibly on a different computer, different time it'll come out bit for bit identical, the exact same software every time you build it. Yeah, so that's the overarching goal. Cool. Uh, what I work on is look at various packages, mostly me personally within Debian, and submit patches to make packages build reproducibly, like, say, removing a timestamp from the embedded build of a package. So, yeah, that, that's one of the main things I do. I also maintain some in infrastructure. I have a bunch of... ARM-based machines running in my basement, rebuilding Debian constantly, multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that sentence before. Yeah. Uh, cool. So, yeah, I gave, gave other talks about that, like the many-armed monster and stuff like that. Excellent. You said you're moving a timestamp. That's because timestamps change every time there's a new time, and it's a text. Right. And so when you have a SHA or some other encryption algorithm going over that, then it always is going right. to have a new... Or even something as simple as when you build a package, it embeds the date you build it into the man page or something like that. Other documentation. Which documentation changes, is one of the big ones. Yeah, which changes how it ends up, right? Right, right. So if you build it a week from now, you might get a different date embedded. Or if it's a full-on timestamp, obviously, you build it a second later and it will come out different. So Okay, simple question, maybe a complex answer. Why do we care? So reproducible builds gives the possibility to verify that the source code is actually what is used to produce the binary code that you actually run on a computer. Why is that important? Well, so in theory, somebody could say, well, yeah, sure, I'm building this source code and here's a binary, but they might actually build that binary with some other things stuck into it. So this is a way where you can verify that the source actually corresponds to the binary. It's not perfect. There are still ways it can go wrong, but it, it gains a very strong confidence of a correlation. So security, stop man-in-the-middle attacks, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then yeah. also for sciences, it's important, right? Yeah, it's definitely important for science. The scientific principles of reproducibility are really similar, and there's a lot of overlap there. Other things it can also be really helpful for is when a developer is building software and they refactor some of the code and then they want to make sure that only the things they expect to change actually change. So it can be useful for that in some cases. Cool. How many people work at Reproducible Builds? So it's a pretty broad community. We have a few developers working under the umbrella of Software Freedom Conservancy. It's about four of us, some part-time, some full-time. And then there are a huge number of other people working on all, all sorts of other projects, several Linux distros, Arch Linux, OpenSUSE. F-Droid is a big one. If uh, anybody's 
using Android. That's yep. a great place to get free software applications, and a fair number of them are reproducible. Who's paying for that work? So we've gotten various grants. Sometimes we get corporate sponsors, people who actually see that this work can really help the community at large rather than just, oh, we have a specific deliverable we need to achieve. This is like a core infrastructure kind of issue. So who funds this work is like the question, right? So one of the things, what with the pandemic and various companies have been laying off employees, there is a lot less corporate sponsorship going around. So that's been a bit of a challenge for us. But essentially, it's kind of a common good. Like this benefits all software. So ideally, every software is reproducible and that gives us some various security benefits and some auditability benefits that everyone benefits but because it helps everyone and not anyone in particular, sometimes it's kind of hard to find funding for it. Yeah. Interesting. Do you find that most of the funders have been like philanthropically focused or are they like large corporate funders who want to have their logo on something or? Some of each. Some of each? For certain. Yeah. We have a few applications in the works and we've had a few sponsorships in the past. But yeah. There are companies that do see the benefit to themselves, though when they're kind of pulling the belts tighter, they're, they're obviously got less to throw around. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Move back to the technical side of things. When we talk about reproducible builds, that means making the entire build deterministic, right? So it always follows yeah. the same exact path that you expect it to follow. Not all software is deterministic. Sometimes it's going to have random elements. How do you manage right. those when you make a reproducible build? There's tricky things. Obviously, if you're like generating encryption keys, if that's deterministic, we've got serious security problems. Yeah. So sources of actual randomness, ideally, we shift that to something you do at runtime hmm. rather than at build time. And in a lot of ways, that's arguably better from a security standpoint anyway. If you're relying on randomness for security, you shouldn't, everybody who uses the same binary from the same machine get the same exact randomness, that's a security problem. <laughs> yeah. So when we're thinking about just moving things around and making it more secure in general for the people who are using the software, you said it's a, it's a common good to have more secure software, but it's only necessary for Debian to be secure for Debian users. Right. So what am I missing in the sense that the common good seems to actually be generic to only people who are using the software that you're trying to fix? Well, sure. Well, my goal is to make it industry-wide standard best practice. Cool. And at that point, this is just something you do. It's like you use revision control, you do reproducible builds. This is how you do software, you know. That's one of the goals. And also... Even though I mostly submit patches by way of Debian, I, we also try to push those patches upstream so that Debian runs Linux, Fedora runs Linux, everybody runs some of the same software. And if we push it all upstream, it benefits the broader community. Which also benefits people who are using services that depend upon Linux without necessarily knowing that Linux is running their services. Right. Right. And I mean, our real goal is to make it so people don't have to think about reproducible builds. It's just happens. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, you need to do testing to make sure it's maintained and continued, but it shouldn't be something that people have to think too hard about. The tool chains like compilers and things should ideally behave reproducible, behave, produce deterministic results by default, ideally. That's our goal. 
<laughs> so you mentioned that there's four of you working mainly under the, the purview or umbrella of the Software Freedom Conservancy, which is, of course, one of the fiscal hosts out there. Mm-hmm. That's really great. SFC tends to be more of a hands-on fiscal host than something like Open Source Collective, which just allows you to just raise money and deal with it, although OSC is working towards that sort of work. One of my questions for you is, if your goal is to make people not think about it, how are you managing that while also trying to educate people about an industry standard (laughs) while also trying to get people to pay you to do the work in the first place? This is true. So when I say they should not have to think about it, when somebody's building a piece of software, they shouldn't have to specifically go out of their way to, say, enable the reproducible flag. Cool. That's more what I'm talking about. But yeah, there, there is a balance there. This is definitely one of the fields where ideally we want to work ourselves out of a job. Yep. We get to where all software is reproducible all the time mm. and you just have to do a little bit of regression testing. We won't need us, but we're a long way from there. <laughs> what can people do at open source projects to help themselves on the way towards this great goal of getting you out of a job? <laughs> I think the biggest thing is just to actually set up, if you have a continuous testing framework, set up some reproducibility testing where you're testing a build on two different machines at some degree of different time on some of our tests we actually set it to run like slightly more than a year in the future so the day year and month always vary but yeah so just integrate it into your continuous integration testing or or other frameworks or do the occasional manual build at least that sort of thing and uh, see if you can do it cool So there are projects out there that are working on similar sorts of things. For instance, Prosimo is working on re-implementing tons of different code in memory-safe languages to stop there being exploits in terms of where your memory is allocated in your code. And it's kind of an interesting problem to say, I want to have reproducible builds for all software to make it a whole lot easier for everyone to do stuff. Now, you've answered the question of how do developers go out and implement these in their code itself. Run a build, run it in the future, do regression testing... If you need help, I'm sure you can go on your website and figure it out. Yeah. If I'm working for a large company and I'm using open source software, and I'm not necessarily that developer, but I'm that developer's manager, if I'm someone who has writing a bottom line, how do I help and why do I care? I know one of the things, like drop a name with Google itself, they're really interested in it because with reproducible builds, they can avoid rebuilding things when they know they don't have to. They mm. know nothing changed in the code. We've got reproducible builds. We don't have to redo this build. And that saves them a lot of time and energy, like literally energy, because they're building stuff constantly. And money, yeah. And money, yeah. And it yeah. always comes back to money, for definitely. for. So in that sense, there are like kind of some other side benefits you might get if you need to, as a manager, to pitch it to your higher-ups or whatever. Yeah, so there, there can be some performance improvements with uh, more reliable caching of your build results. That's great. That settles that problem. I guess I have another question, which is, can you give me an example of any time in the industry where we've collectively worked on a standard for something and now we don't have to think about it and it just works just fine and those people are out of a job and they did a good job? I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I can't think yeah, of any yeah. off the top of my head except maybe things like, we didn't used to have standardized railways. Now we have standardized railways and we don't have trains running into each other anymore. Usually. Really help. (laughs) Usually. Most of the time. And then there's things like, you know, time zones and the like where they didn't used to be standardized time zones. Right. So I guess that's kind of your goal. That's kind of the long line of engineering tasks that just need to happen. 
And right now we're really in the proof of concept phase. Like cool. we basically know how to make Debian 96% reproducible. Cool. And that's over 30,000 source packages, over 50,000 binary packages, something like that. That's incredible. So yeah, we can really close. It's painfully close, honestly. <laughs> Do you have like a horizon line that you're looking at? Like by 2075, oh. we'll be done? So the hard part is we're 96% there, but the first 80% was fairly easy. <laughs> cool. <laughs> we fixed some timestamps in a bunch of things and the numbers went from 10% reproducible to like 70 or 80. <laughs> so it's kind of a last mile problem to some degree. Yeah. So in that sense, maybe I won't work myself out of a job, but maybe I can work the next generation out of a job. <laughs> cool. Or you could just say Pareto principle. I did 80% of the work. I'm done. So cool. You could do that. You could do that. But yeah, but uh, I'm close enough. Can't let it go. <laughs> Where can people learn more about reproducible builds? Reproduciblebuilds.org. Simple. Reproducible-builds.org. Excellent. And where can people learn more about you? Well, my business is Aikidev, A-I-K-I-D-E-V.net. I've got a infrequently updated web page there. <laughs> Who doesn't? All right. Thank you so much, Vagrant. It's yeah, been great definitely. to have you on. Good luck with reproducible builds. And thanks again. Yeah. Thanks for pushing for sustainability. Listeners, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. If you're curious about FOSSI, where these were recorded, go to sfconservancy.org, to the Software Freedom Conservancy's website, where you can learn more about it. It's been really, really fun to be here and have these great conversations about free and open source software. Of course, if you've liked this podcast, please let us know. Like us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to it. Email us at podcast.sustainoss.org. Give us any thoughts or comments or queries or complaints. We would love to hear them. And of course, please tell your friends. Word of mouth is the single best way to get more listeners on this podcast. And hopefully you think that that's something we should have. If you would like to donate, you can go to Open Collective to sustain OSS, where you can donate to the production cost for this podcast, which is not free. So that would be super, super great. And of course, you can join in the conversation yourself by going to discourse with the same OSS.org to go chat. And you can follow us on Twitter at the same OSS, on Mastodon, and I believe on Blue Sky. So thank you so much for listening and take care. Bye.